Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Good day. I'm Chris Jordan. I'm the CEO and president of Superior Gold. Um, I'd like to introduce uh, Paul Olmsted, our CFO, who's joining me here today, and uh, would like to share with you a bit about the story and the narrative um, that uh, that depicts not only what we're currently doing here at Superior, but also what the future looks like. In essence, um, it's a single asset um, operation um, up in WA. Um, we're operating a mine that's that's been there for you know in excess of 30 years um, with significant upside potential. Yes, the operations has gone through some difficult times. I think the benefit we have is a lot of work both in the technical space as well as on the business development space around opportunities that um, has been done um, by my predecessor, the interim CEO, Tamara Brown. And uh, we have taken that strategy in the process of unpacking that and really understanding what the underlying components would be to build towards moving this business, not only from a stable operation, which we believe we now, but also to take it up to a business of scale and also to look at opportunities to grow through the drill bit. Brilliant. Uh, Chris, lovely to meet you uh, and you too, Paul. First time I've spoken to you guys, um, so I appreciate it. I caught up with Tamara back in June where she talked about you coming on board. So uh, it's, it's good to see you and, and maybe speak to you now because you've had your feet under the table for a little bit longer. So you're right. When I first heard this story, a bit of a train wreck, been high grading, uh, production falling, uh, market fell out of love uh, with it. Tamara came in and instigated a few kind of processes uh, you know, she's talked to us about kind of four areas of the business that she has looked at. I guess you've been you've been brought in to try and implement some of that and see what else you can do. So, can we just get a little bit of background on you first, though, Chris, if you don't mind? Yeah, sure. So, I joined um, from Newcrest Mining, which is the largest gold producer here in 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 Australia. Um, during my tenure there, I had uh, both corporate as well as operational roles. Initially, starting off as chief performance officer. Um, in 2016, and then moving up to the Lahir Gold Mine up in Papua New Guinea, which I ran just for over uh, just under three years. Um, then uh, jumped onto a um, uh, business improvement overall project for the Papua New Guinean assets of Newcrest. And um, since then, I think from the 1st of July, joined uh, Superior Gold. Well, why would you leave Newcrest? You must have had options if you're thinking of leaving. Why would you join such a small company with a disastrous track record as this one seemed to have? What attracted you? Well, well it's interesting. You know, most of my career has been um, taking on turnaround um, opportunities. Um, I think uh, my experience, both in the business improvement space as well as uh, managing large businesses, has put me in a good position. Um, to take uh, uh, Superior Gold forward. Um, I think what really attracted me was the growth opportunity that um, Superior delivers. We're very comfortable um, that we will be able to stabilize the business for the long term. And now it's about, you know, how do we grow it? How do we make it a business of scale? Okay, well, okay, you, we talk about stabilization, that's fine. So when, again, when we spoke with Tamara, she talked, talked about introducing modeling, which has not been done before, uh, processes around where you allocate capital and drill bits, which has not been done yes. for a long time before. Uh, you've just put out a quarterly there, it says, uh, you know, you're, you're up, um, what, just on, well, just over 19,000 ounces for the quarter. It's still quite small. You've got a long way to go. So what are you doing? 
So the first thing that's important after the work that Tamara completed was to really understand what the underlying opportunities are. Um, so her work was primarily defined around what are all the opportunities. Now the job is, what is the sequence of these opportunities? Which are those opportunities we need to um, shelve for now, you know, and preserve for the future? Which are the ones we need to understand better? And which are the ones that we need to deliver on? So one example, the one we need to deliver on is we need to increase our throughput out of the underground mine. We've done exceptionally well up to now, but there's still a lot more um, that we need to deliver from that perspective because it forms the mainstay of our supply to our mill. The second piece around how these opportunities stack up, we started off with the Platonic East mine, the open pit mine in May this year. Um, we're now moving into Perch, which is the second open pit. And there's a sequence of other open pits that needs to follow on as we set ourselves up for the major uh, uh, the main pit uh, pushback project, which still needs a lot of work to be done in that space. But that in the meantime, we're looking at a number of options, how we can build this inventory of ore, because fundamentally the business is ore short. And that's the main challenge that we need to solve. It must be really frustrating for you. You come from Necrest, big budgets, big balance sheets. You had all the money you wanted to be able to do the things you need to do. Small company, cash constrained. What are the first problems that you've identified that uh, you're are, are going to cause you problems in, in terms of producing at the speed that you think is is possible. You talk about growth stories, but with no money, it's hard. Well, it's interesting. We we have a few very low capital opportunities, you know, on our doorstep. So we're looking at you know the open pits. You know, we've we've delivered Platonic East without any major capital requirement, in addition to what we had and generated from the or uh, finance from the cash we generated. In addition to that, we're going to do the same with Perch um, as we go forward with that. I think what's important is to recognize, and, and we just recently announced that if you look at our cash position, despite all these investments we're doing, our cash balance is still improving. Um, and maybe, you know, Paul can talk a little bit about that um, uh, specifically, but, you know, we're very happy with um, our cash generation capability. Um, we we hope to see as we increase our production to see our cost going down and to create a you know much larger headroom relative to the gold price. Um, so, but maybe Paul can can add to that as well. Okay, well, let me ask Paul. Paul, uh, you've you've obviously having to deal with the same constraints that Chris has in the sense it's a, it's a small company and small companies have different problems uh, from big companies. And you're as an accountant or as a CFO, you've got to you know keep the the balance sheet in, in, in check. You've got to make sure that people aren't spending money on things that they shouldn't. This isn't the time for throwing caution to the winds. You've got to be steady as you go. So what are the constraints under that you're working under and therefore what the company is working under? Well, certainly over the last year, uh, you know, we, we did have the constraints with the uh, term debt or gold loan outstanding that we had with uh, Oramet. Uh, that, that term debt was finally repaid at the end of June. Uh, and based on the current gold price, that was costing around two and a half million US per quarter of uh, cash flow. Uh, so with that now gone at the end of June, it certainly opened up some flexibility for us to utilize that cash to put back into the operation on exploration, trying to advance you know, exploration in both the underground and the open pit. So certainly, you know, the balance sheet has improved significantly over the past year. So I think our flexibility is opening uh, to do other, other things. Okay. So what is the cash position? Uh, at the end of September, we were at 20.5 million US right. cash on the balance sheet. 
and that's probably already been allocated to specific silos. So what are they? And, uh, you know, which bits of those are growth and which bits are sustaining and which bits are quite frankly dealing with, you know, historical issues? So I think in the short term, uh, we're certainly looking forward to increasing our, our production profile. And, and I think the benefit that we, we're really going after and the main lever is around volume. Uh, more out of the underground, more higher grade ore out of the open, but you know, being able to run the mills harder, producing more gold because we believe that our fixed cost base currently um, would would be strong enough to carry it up to about 100,000 ounces, which means the additional ounces from where we are typically analysed now at 77,000 ounces uh, would, to a large extent, come a, come in only at variable cost. So, so we would expect. Um, you know, a reduction in costs and therefore creating more headroom and, you know, improve our cash flow position. Um, when I joined, one of the initiatives we started was an, an, what we call an opportunity review, which basically looks at the full potential of the business. That work is coming um, very close um, to being finished off in the next few weeks. That will give us a very clear indication as to what the priorities are of our growth strategy, which other ones we need to do first, and you know what the financing would be that we're looking after. We're clearly aware of our cash position um, and the challenges in that space. Although it's improved significantly, we'd like to see that you know improve further. As I quite rightly said, the important thing here is we're looking at options which have low capital requirements, but we'll be able to, you know, uh, progress our production profile. And, and, you know, one of those opportunities to see whether there's potential early entry opportunities into the main pit. Okay, so you know, underground is cash flow at the moment, the open pit is the potential in terms of you putting more ore uh, through. The the kind of third arm that we talked about in the past was tolling, because you, you've inherited or you acquired a very large infrastructure. There's a sustaining capital required for that if you are to maximise it too. Are you going to have enough money to kind of, is that going to be a restriction for you? No, I, I think that the main restriction here is just getting access to the ore. Um, as you know, we, we, we're sitting on light capacity, 1.2 million tons per annum in an oxide um, circuit. Um, th- that plant needs a bit of capital to get it up and going again. Um, the key for us would be to get the appropriate ore to feed into that process plant. Um, you know, and, and, and that will be you know, fundamentally part of what we need to deliver in our strategy going forward. We would expect if, if that mill capacity starts up, and it's certainly our intent to do so, you know, to add another fifty to sixty thousand ounces per year to our profile, which is, you know, a significant uptick from, you know, what we're currently trying to achieve, um, taking the current mill up to hundred thousand ounces. But that's that's not entirely coming from the, the open pit component that you're looking at. That we're talking about tolling as well, are we? Yes, yes. So, so the second mill, and and that's why you know I, I took the cue on on tolling. We typically would look at external supply of feed to run that out, that, that um, process. Um, the opportunity we have, or the strategic opportunity we have is that, you know, we're the only milling capacity in, in you know, about 150 kilometers radius that can get really going quickly. Um, so that's where the real opportunity lies. And what does the margin look like on something like, in terms of a tolling agreement? You talk about, you know, that volume, what, what does that contribute towards the bottom line for you? Well, it's 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 going to be a function of you know how much money we need to spend to get it up and going first. Um, what we are seeing is that the, the that the fixed cost component of it will certainly be lower than what we're currently seeing on a per ton uh, basis. Um, what we are looking at is options where we could um, reconfigure our process plant potentially to get that that those ounces, but get them at a much lower cost um, from a milling cost perspective. 
um, because at the end of the day, that just once again contributes to a lower cost. Um, so I would expect you know those incremental ounces to come in at a much lower cost than what we're currently um, uh, producing. But then once again, it's a function of how much you know we're going to pay for external ore. And you know, tolling is one option. Um, there's options of putting JVs together. There's options of acquiring uh, potential assets into the future. So it's it's not only the it's not only around tolling as as a potential solution to this. Okay, but okay, let's but let's take the tolling because we talked about it in the past, or I've talked to the company about it in the yeah, in, sure. in the past. I just to help people understand the economics around this one because it could be meaningful, and also the access to capital could be a lot easier if it's if it's very specific to that function and, and utility, which is if you. Presumably, go and get, either buy or acquire or, or say JV to get or and whatever that agreement looks like. You can go and have a conversation, a meaningful conversation with financiers and say, right, just for this bit, can we borrow X to get this mill up and running? Um, you know, opt- optimize it to be able to feed this or through because the numbers look like X. How long does that process take to work out? So the opportunities we're looking, just just quickly talk about timing, the opportunities we're looking at currently will probably not be available um, or feed into the process plant, you know, um, in 20, uh, before 2023, um, which in fact suits us well, because we need to spend some money to get the process plant up and going. And that's going to take about nine, nine to 12 months to get that going. Um, Current estimates is about 20 to 25 million um, Australian dollars to get it up and going. Um, Of course, we're going to try and optimize it as far as possible. Um, but you know that's what it's going to take. Just purely looking at our own infrastructure to get that up and going. Um, once the ore is available and the process plant's ready to go, it's a, it's a very quick startup. Um, that process plant is very similar to the one we're running now. Uh, so in essence, we'll use you know the overhead structure that's currently in place there, um, with a few extra operators and maintainers, um, and we should be you know all good to go on that process plant. So it's, it's, it's relatively low capital, it's quick entry, it's much cheaper than building new process plant. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's demonstrated technology. Um, th- that process plant has done you know, really well in the past. Um, you know, there would certainly be options depending on the ore supply that we get uh, to augment the circuit with, for instance, a gravity circuit, you know, that, that, will, det- that will be a function of where we get the ore from. And you know, there's a number of options that we are looking at. Okay, fantastic. So let's just, I just want to kind of go step by step so I can understand the, 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 the basis, the kind of the bedrock in which you're building this company for, for future growth, you know, to enable it to hopefully be successful, which is on the underground. I need to believe that you can sustain the, the current production from there with, I know you put out a few high grade uh, results recently as well. What, do you foresee any issues there? From you've come in now, you can look at it with a fresh set of eyes, and you can be honest with the market and say, "I haven't quite inherited what I thought I inherited." So now's the time to say it. So, is, are there going to be any problems with continuing to sustain production from the underground at the current rates? So, look, there's no doubt the underground is a challenging ore body, um, just purely because of the spatial positioning of the ore, um, and that's one of the the key things that Tamara. Um, recognize that we need to address. And in May this year, we started off uh, a technology project to better forecast and predict exactly where that ore is. Um, and, and our geologist has run with that project. It's a project that will be finished in two phases. Um, the first phase was complete at the end of August. The second phase will be complete by the end of November. So, so that's fundamentally um, a key input to not only our budget for next year, 
but also putting us in a position to reconsider our block models, our resource and reserve statement, which we will be presenting um, at the end of uh, Q1 next year, early Q2 next year, as well as the life of mine. I think a key element there would be um, our consideration of our inferred um, measured and indicated resource versus our um, uh, um, reserves that we have in the business. There seems to be a bit of a disconnect and, you know, some, um, I think, uh, uh, uncomfortableness that, that the reserve number is quite low. We would expect that number to adjust as we better, uh, uh, you know, put ourselves in a better position to predict spatially where the ore is and how much ore is out, out there in the underground. So, so that's just understanding the current ore body. In addition to that, we also added an additional drill rig um, a few months ago, uh, which is absolutely dedicated for underground exploration. Um, and as you said, you know, we've had a few, few fantastic hits. Um, there's a new report coming out in middle of November that's specifically going to talk to um, drill uh, results out of the Western Front, which we believe is going to be fundamentally part of the future of the underground mine. So although we're currently mining mostly in remnant mining, there is a transition where we're going into new areas uh, and we have to do that to increase our, our throughput from the underground over time. Fantastic. Okay, you, you kind of hit upon a, a couple of topics there, which are interesting. So uh, underground exploration on the current ore body, was that, is that, are you looking for new stuff? Well, it's, it's in the current underground ore body. Right. Okay. What, we, what we're doing is we're drilling from our current infrastructure to see what, you know, what is nearby, near to our current infrastructure so we can get there quicker. Um, so, um, and, and, and that's where we've, we've, uh, we've been able to get the good results. Okay. And, um, obviously at surface too, but what about, what about new pure exploration drilling in, in the area? Is that, is that going to be geared towards the sort of more open pit, uh, you know, option that you're looking at here? Is that, is that what it's going to feed into in terms of where the money's being spent, where you think the best chance of economic growth is going to come from? I think the opportunity we have is that they, they're large part of the property that's within our tenements, which hasn't been drilled properly. Um, and there's definitely opportunity there. In fact, you know, we're sinking the first surface holes this, this quarter, um, and we have to give feedback to the market, you know, early next year, um, let's say mid-November, typically when we bring our, our exploration results out. Um, th that's one target area. There's a few other areas we're also looking at. Um, but I think what's, what's important for us is to appropriately position our spend in, in exploration. Um, it's, it's, you know, our third goal that we're after. We need to grow through the drill bit as well. And, you know, our property does allow and, and has proven quite successful in, in, in um, growing, you know, ore supply through the drill bit. Um, and certainly, you know, we spoke about the underground, but the surface is definitely going to get more attention. Um, the challenge we have with, with the surface drilling, of course, and, you know, there's two main areas that I'm thinking about now. We have to go through the heritage surveys to be able to get access to that land. And we're working very closely with our local communities, the Gingerana Group and the Jitty Group. Um, can you explain to, a little bit more about that? that? It was literally the next question, which was, you know, can you explain for people perhaps new to that or new to that um, uh, process that's been gone through at the moment with the with the um, Hermes South Heritage Survey? You know, what's it involved? What what are what's it trying to uh, do, and how do you interact with that survey? So, so at the end of the day, um, we need to recognise and 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 appreciate the fact that. We're working and, and looking at options to grow our business on ancient land. And, and you know, there's, there's a number of, of um, um, 
uh, Aboriginal communities that that look after the land. Um, they culturally, you know, very closely linked with the land, and therefore it's important for us to work with them. In essence, what we need to make sure is that wherever we go, whether we do just initial drilling or um, uh, you know initial workings, building roads, etc., to make absolutely sure that we we do this, you know, um, being joined by the hip with these um, representative groups. They're very well organized at this stage. You know, there's very specific individuals that we speak to and they form fundamentally part and parcel of the process. And, and initially, once we've identified an area that we want to go in, the very next step is engaging with these local communities and then going through a formal process of a heritage survey um, you know, we have representatives there. They bring representatives to the table and we have regular meetings in, in um, defining what, you know, what we're going to do, how we're going to approach it to have the absolute minimum impact on, on their cultural heritage land. And it's obviously, um, I think tempers have been sl slightly heated after, you know, Rio maybe misunderstood the, the, the process that they needed to go through. Are you finding that slowing things down for you? I think what, what is happening is that there's certainly a heightened um, awareness in, in the mining industry um, after that incident. Um, I think what it, what it is doing, it's, it is putting strain on these organized groups um, that represent the land. Um, and, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's certainly a drain on their resources to be able to do these heritage surveys. So, from time to time, you know, of course, we'd like to get the heritage survey done tomorrow. But, you know, from time to time, we would wait two, three, maybe four months, uh, you know, to get a slot in the schedule to do these heritage surveys. Um, but I have to say, we've we've come up with one or two really uh, interesting and elegant ways um, to use the infrastructure of, of um, uh, the representative groups to accelerate that um, rather than waiting too long. Um, at this stage, um, you know, it's a, it, it, it is a process where you need to keep your hand on it and make sure that it happens on time. But I must say the support that we've received from both the Gingerana group and the GDG group has been, has been you know, phenomenal. Okay. Back to another finance question, okay, which is around, you talk about, you know, cash and, uh, and cash equivalents of, of 20 million bucks. So what does the cash equivalence but re relate to? Paul, do you want to feel that question, Mike? Well, that's just that pure cash on the balance sheet. So at the end of September, you know, all of our cash you know, on the balance sheet was twenty and a half million US. So uh, with no term debt outstanding, uh, whereas previously our net cash position a year ago would have you know, deducted all of the uh, the loans outstanding with the ORMAT. Got it. Okay, perfect. So which, which leads me to the next question, which is back to you, Chris, which is the, there's a clear disconnect in the market. You're 80 million, mark, 80 million uh, Canadian dollars, right? You're producing... 19,000 ounces, um, you, you believe that's a kind of steady state, which gives you the, the basis from which to grow. And, you know, with the open pit, hopefully, well, you, you may be going to share with us what you think the potential is here, but the market's not buying it at the moment. Is 20 million bucks and the next quarter's uh, ca uh, cash income going to be enough to allow you to spend your way through this uncertainty, or are you going to need to do something big to get noticed? I think... We're probably still in the wake of a number of quarters not delivering to expectation that was set by the company. That's the first thing. The second thing is, I think the market and, and with all the engagements we've had over the last three months, I think the market is is certainly um, looking at at the opportunity, you know, two or three times. However, we need to be able to demonstrate, you know, repeated performance at the levels that we are now and to show 
that once we declare what the next step would be and how we're going to get there, that we in fact deliver against that. So for us, there's there's really two things to drive this this rewrite and and you know increase the interest in the business. Firstly, is um, making sure that we build our cash balance even stronger going forward. So you know reducing cost is a key element for us. But on the other hand, it's also making sure that we're very open and transparent as to what the strategy is going to be, how we're going to grow the business, when the market can expect us, so the market can you know measure our performance against that. And I think through that transparency and delivery against our strategy, we you know we we would be able to build a consistency, which is which goes beyond just delivering a certain number at a, in a certain quarter. It goes to us taking the market along on this journey to grow the business. What about your Newcrest contacts? They're going to do you a favour any anytime soon. Do you mean? <laughs> do you mean about uh, Newcrest people joining our organisation? New, Newcrest people joining the organisation, maybe looking at some non-core assets, maybe using some of that credibility you built up over the last few decades working for a big company. You know, because the, the the market wants to see big moves. You know, and big company mentalities coming small companies uh, here. You know, you, you, you've got to leverage what you've got, right? So again, again, it comes back to the first question I asked you, which is, you know, why on earth would a big company uh, experienced operator like yourself come to a small company like this? You know, the organic thing is going to take a long time and the market may not give you that time. So what are you going to leverage? So I, I think what, what what we're doing at this stage, which is important for us, is that we're following a measured approach, number one. Number two, we know what it means to have a solid foot on the ground, which is you know stable, reliable performance against what you know what we put out in the market. I think the opportunities um, that that um, are presenting themselves at this stage fits us very well um, insofar as our growth strategy is concerned. Um, exactly how that's going to play out, you know, we'll we'll probably be um, we'll know you know over the next few months how how we're going to build. Um, these specific elements to it. I think the business still needs to uh, uh, create that level of understanding um, and and also transparency and build a trust in the market. Um, you know, we have to strengthen the business um, before we start thinking about doing something, you know, very elaborate. Um, will the opportunities be there? And I'm absolutely confident that the opportunities will be there. Whether Newcrest will fall apart that I don't know you know I, I don't know what, the, what what the guys are doing there but um, I think the key for me from a from a new career's perspective is they certainly you know have have, uh, have done exceptionally well and you know under the leadership of Sandy Biswas have um, have shown that they grow and um, so um, I think at the end of the day is understanding what, what is the the size of um, uh, bites that we can take into the market rather than you know being overtly optimistic um, the market and you know does not respond well if if you go through a significant deal and it doesn't turn out the way it's supposed to be thank you for listening if you've enjoyed the interview why not subscribe to cruxcast or our website cruxinvestor.com and of course our youtube channel crux investor plus you can catch us most days on twitter and linkedin we really love getting your feedback so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon